Hello once again, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the show where I talk to developers, programmers, and coders of all types who are in business for themselves, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are. So if you're a coder who wants to get into business, or if you're already in business and you just want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 16 with Daniel Vassallo. My guest today is Daniel Vassallo. Daniel is a software engineer and entrepreneur who recently took the plunge to go independent. Before that, he was with Amazon for eight years where he worked on building tools for developers and was handsomely rewarded getting up to half a million dollars per year in salary before leaving. Daniel lives with his family in Seattle where he is now focusing on his startup, Encrypted.dev, a platform allowing developers to build applications with end-to-end user encryption. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, thanks for the invite. Yeah, uh, I, I've been reading your stuff that you've been putting out uh, on Medium, which talks a lot about your transition, your move from working at Amazon, where you had, uh, as you call it, a cushy job, a job that was uh, paying you a lot of money, uh, where you were working on stuff that you really loved doing, into going uh, independent. And, and you talk a lot about how, you know, it it really on paper would make would have made sense for you to stay at Amazon because you were making tons of money uh, doing things that you actually like doing, but yet you, you're here where you, you've taken the plunge. So I'd love to chat with you about that. Maybe take us, uh, take us to your story. Um, how did you make the decision to kind of go out on your own and what led up to that for you? Yeah, you know, to be honest, um, sort of it's interesting because just before I joined Amazon, I sort of thought of myself that um, I would never work at a big company. Sort of I had this image of, you know, bureaucracy and red tape. Um, but I think there was something happened in the late 2000s. I think it was 2008, 2009, where um, I realized that uh, sort of I, I, I had all, already been working in a couple of um, small companies before in tech and building websites using databases and so on and so forth and I realized that I might be missing out a little bit and sort of exposing myself so sort of I felt like I was using technology but not really sort of understanding how it's made right and um, sort of I had became a fan of AWS back then just because I happened to be using it in a place where I was working and um, sort of something made me uh, think that uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to try, right? just to see probably um, uh, mostly how the sausage gets made right? of all the products that I'm using. So long story short, uh, I sort of um, I tried, I applied, I passed to the sort of interview lottery <laughs> and sort of in, I think it was November of 2010, I got a job at AWS in sort of in the CloudWatch team. And um, sort of my career, uh, it's, it's it, uh, again, so in the beginning, it was very interesting, just what I expected, like lots of new things that sort of having worked before in just small places just exposed me to, to, um, to ways big companies work, lots of smart people. It was very interesting. Like the first couple of years, absorbing lots of information. And I felt like I was contributing positively as well, which helped. Sort of, I landed in a team that I actually and on a product that I liked, 
Um, and things were going really well. So I got promoted a couple of times, actually, very quickly in the first three and a half years. Got promoted twice. Um, my compensation got adjusted beyond, again, sort of what I expected. Uh, initially, I joined in Ireland, in Dublin, and after a year and a half, I got offered to move to Seattle, which was, again, a good thing. I like I sort of another opportunity. So again, like there was momentum, things were going really, really well. Um, then I think sort of, I think at the, around the fourth year, um, sort of there was a bit of a lull period, right? Sort of all this excitement, sort of all this sort of fascination with sort of new things started to uh, sort of uh, go away a little bit, right? Um, um, and um, sort of I started reflecting and some of the in sort of, my, I think some of my, uh, instincts that I had before were sort of uh, were telling me that I might be unhappy working in a big place where I sort of always have to ask for permission to do something and there's lots of energy that needs to be expanded to do something simple similar mm -hmm. sort of started to <laughs> become clear and I sort of started to see the um, uh, the things that I don't necessarily like but nevertheless I think um, sort of as you said in the beginning, um, I probably at the time I thought that it would be foolish for me to try something different. I, there was, I was trying to think about it rationally, I thought, and I sort of could see uh, my managers were telling me I have lots of potential here. And sort of I could see that sort of the, the space that I was in was very, uh, very hot, like the market on sort of experience in the cloud. And there were sort of, I had colleagues going to other places to Google and Facebook, you know, um, sort of taking a big jump as well in their compensation, their career, sort of lots of opportunities. I could see that I had a path in front of me with high expected value, that if I just continue to do what I'm doing, you know, in terms of at least financial rewards, it would be very hard to beat, um, you know, uh, doing something on your own. So sort of that part of my brain was telling me that uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I should stick there and sort of try to find sort of uh, ways to derive satisfaction from what I, what I was doing. Um, but then sort of I had the others of competing part, which sort of I was, you know, still looking for options of sort of what, what other uni parallel <laughs> universe exists that maybe I might be doing something right, that might be sort of more compatible with uh my sort of what motivates me and what i think gives me co um, uh, satisfaction and i don't really know what happens exactly but sort of there was a period where i, I took a short vacation uh had some time off um and um, at one point i think it it clicked in me like i said probably my i i think you know what happened i think uh, I started looking around at uh, my colleagues and sort of people that have been there 10 years, 15 years, and even not necessarily at Amazon, but maybe they had a long career, sort of jumping with a few different companies before. And um, I, d despite these being very smart people, you know, very, interest very interesting people, very knowledgeable, I really didn't envy their job and their position, right? I could sort of see myself becoming them and... Um, uh, you know, going in nine to five, meeting after meeting, just nudging um, sort of uh, other people from a very high level in a sort of direction that the strategy might be taking. Every small thing ends up becoming, you know, it's a big deal, it's a big project, lots of sort of documents and getting approvals and so on and so forth. 
And I uh, sort of, I knew from my experience that this, uh, this type of work was already wearing me out, <laughs> sort of at <laughs> least wearing my energy out, right? Right. And uh, sort of, I, um, it nearly scared me the prospect that <laughs> um, I could be sort of doing this even more intensely, even more detached from sort of the, uh, the, 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 the engineering floor where you're building stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I could see, I could already see my job evolving that way. And um, I think something in me clicked, right? And I, I realized um, my job, my sort of days as a full-time employee are very likely numbers that right? I should start thinking of something else. And mm-hmm. I think I, the way I reasoned about it is again, like uh, now, nowadays, when, sort of when I left my job, lots of people tell me, "Wow, it's a very risky move. It's very bold." But I, actually, I don't think it's really that risky. Right at the end of the day, I think like um, um, we're a bit lucky in this industry that we can rely on, even if you know, making a big sort of unpe- um, a, a big change like this with no sort of um, certain outcome, obviously. Uh, you could always go back to find a job like and, and make ends yeah. meet. So I don't think I'm risking anything consequential for myself or my family. It's not like uh, if this sort of experiment with my career doesn't work out, I'm going to end up uh, with nothing, right? right. <laughs> um, so sort of it's how um, I, I, I sort of managed to eliminate in my head the risky part. I realized that there, I'm not, I wouldn't be risking anything consequential. And um, then I started looking for sort of, I I had nothing yet concrete in my head, but I started looking, I started imagining myself. It was basically um, an imaginative process. What would be uh, that I would, what do you, what what would I imagine myself doing probably for the rest of my career that I think uh, I wouldn't mind doing, right? Uh, And keep doing and sort of, I had already excluded one part, right, which was basically continuing to sort of climb the corporate ladder at a big company, right, and just sort of um, uh, grow there. So as I started looking, should I be uh, starting a venture capital-backed company in Silicon Valley, right? Should I sort of do something small and independent? Should I consult? Should I, you know, write books? I started imagining all these sort of kinds of things. And um, I think what I landed on was um, this that I'm doing right now, right? Still um, um, building a product, a software product, which I like, right? Sort of an independ- uh, doing it independently as much as possible, um, uh, where sort of I, um, even though I don't exclude eventually having a partner or having somebody sort of uh, part of the venture, so I still like, I still would want to be in a position where I sort of, I have a significant say and can call the shots and I feel that I can control the direction that I'm uh, taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, I started imagining this world and then sort of I transitioned to how can I make it happen, right? What, what um, I started looking at my means and my connections and what I know and what interests me and started thinking of ideas. Uh, from that starting point, right? Rather than starting with an idea and let me figure out how I'm going to make it work. So if I started with the constraint of what I had, right? And sort of started to see what fits mm-hmm. in it. And by the way, this this took years, right? I mean, sort of, because I'm, I'm describing these uh, in a compressed way, but sort of, 
I think it was 2015, right? So nearly, what was that? F nearly four years ago, right? Three and a half years ago when sort of uh, the, 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 the switch <laughs> flipped and I sort okay. of started thinking. Um, then sort of at Amazon, um, incidentally, uh, I took on another big project in late 2016, which, which, which was interesting and rewarding. Um, which initially I thought it's going to be ready by 2017 and then sort of would be a good time to, to, to leave. But like all software projects, it took an extra year <laughs> um, and it sort of we, we released it in, at the end of last year. And pretty much after we released it, I thought this is it. So this is the right time. Um, uh, sort of I, I leave on a high, sort of just release something. I wasn't looking forward to take on an, an, another project and go to the whole sort of uh, journey again um, and that's it right I left I think um, uh, and I left uh, February of this year so about six months ago okay and um, yeah since then sort of and, and I left without even a concrete plan in my head right so right. I accepted that I'm going to spend a few months exploring um, some ideas and sort of testing them out uh, and um, and so far it's been going well right? so now i've settled on something a bit more concrete uh, that, uh, that's great to launch that's great and uh, yeah we'll definitely chat about your your newest uh venture which is mm -hmm. encrypted.dev I'd, I'd love to chat with you about that um one thing that i and we'll sort we'll circle back to that one thing that i'd love to maybe talk a little bit more about is this uh this idea which I, i've heard from you just now i, I read in the article that Working on someone else's terms and working for someone else starts to kind of wear on you. And I think this happens for a lot of people. This this was certainly something that uh, was part of the motivation for me to go out on my own. Um, I used to work for a, a Seattle company myself, although I wasn't working in Seattle, but I used to work for a company called Auth0, yep. which is Seattle-based. And uh, we it was, it was a great company. I, I had a great time working there. Um, great managers, great bosses, great coworkers. Everything was great. Um, there were many factors that led me to want to go out on my own, but one of them was this fact that I didn't... I, I was starting to grow tired of having to report to somebody and work on someone else's terms, even though my bosses were great. Um, what is it that you think, for you at least, um, was the reason that you, you don't really like working on someone else's terms? What is it particularly about working for yeah. somebody else that gets to be a little bit of a wear? I think... Um, I, think it, I think it depends a lot on the on the personality of of the individual sort of I definitely I think all my life I probably had a tendency to sort of um, dislike uh, authority right mm -hmm. and sort of being controlled like I would probably I would speculate it's probably a bit human human nature right that it's sort of we all have a level and a degree of how uh, have a threshold at least where um, it upsets us and everyone has a different threshold right where right. Um, like you're saying <clears throat> I always had great managers great bosses especially in the last part I sort of I had none of the uh, whatever might be problematic that right? I really was um, um, uh, as much as possible I was sort of in, in charge at least on part of the product I had significant responsibility um, and uh, freedom to uh, to work how I wanted. Um, it's it's. Um, I think for me, actually, 
it was a mix of m multiple things, right? There was the, um, uh, I realized that I was doing lots of, in my head, I could, it's hard to fool, there's a part of our, our brain, so I think that's hard to fool, right? Which um, um, I felt that I was doing lots of purposeless work, right? Work mm -hmm. that if I were in charge, um, uh, I wouldn't do. Right. And this was work that the execs needed, you know, to sort of fill them up with context and sort of um, and uh, just again, like it's the uh, cost of doing business at a big company where you need mm -hmm. to get permission from people that might only be thinking about what you're doing, you know, once a month for for 15 minutes. Right? So you always have to fill them up with information. And sort of there was a process at Amazon in particular with uh, very document heavy, it's quite popular, <laughs> not popular, it's, it's very, um, many people know about it, like a six page sort of process where instead of um, describing what you're doing with demos and mockups, just write everything in a narrative form. Um, mm which uh, takes a lot of effort that uh, we pretty much all of 2017 like just to give a concrete example because sort of this last project that i was doing we we, we had a small proof of concept that i finished and i worked on myself at the end of 2016 and locally within my organization we were all thumbs up like let's go build this as part of aws and then uh, pretty much all of 2017, a, a full 11 months from January to November was about trying to get permission from the execs to go and do it. Right? Really? So after we had the, um, after we were all convinced sort of w within our organization. Um, and that sort of, I think it's, uh, it's uh, the, the level of effort you have to expand, right? That sort of wears me out. Not not necessarily the fact that you have to ask for permission, because if 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 I had to ask for permission and it was a matter of sitting down with a person for two hours and we sort of uh, we come out of the door with a yes or no, it's one thing, but spreading it <laughs> over the course of months and sometimes years that takes a different toll, mm -hmm. right? Where, which I thought it's nearly impossible to escape, especially at a big company, right? It's just the way things uh, work. Mm -hmm. So to, in addition with that, so that, that, there was that, right? that, that sort of was to me feeling like purposeless work, it's just demotivating. And then I think I was contrasting it, sort of it, it got amplified with my desire to be free, right? So sort of, uh, it was a bit of, uh, from both from from both angles, right? It was I was feeling restricted, and then sort of I was looking forward to a reality where mm -hmm. I was just making these decisions by itself, right? And just calling the shots, and sort of I I like uh, I find that rewarding, um, and it's it's actually something that attracts me a lot to uh, the independent um, business lifestyle mm -hmm. right um I, I i actually think um <clears throat> i like the business side of things as much as the technology even though i'm sort of a software developer by by by, by trade and by experience right and sort of mm -hmm. i think the um coming up with the business idea sort of marketing and figuring out the pricing and sort of all the strategy around it it's something that i probably it's hard for me to choose between the two mm -hmm. um so um, um so yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your question directly, but sort of a little bit of what was going on. I think it was a bit more complex than just 
that specific thing, right? Just right. asking for permission. It wasn't that I was completely against it, but again, it's just the, the amount of energy it took to even ask for permission <laughs> right. uh, yeah. combined with my desire to not having to ask for permission at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Um, that makes sense. Do you think it was, uh, was it the case that the your need to ask for permission to get things done was increasing over the years or was it maybe just staying the same, but you were growing more sensitive to this kind of slog that it was to have to go and get permission uh, from different people to get things done. Was it maybe more the case yeah. that that was happening no, or was it, it was definitely increasing? increasing. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely increasing. In fact, because the uh, first couple of years, and this, uh, that's sort of another dynamic that I didn't really expect, right? Because in the first couple of years, um, so actually to, 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 to back it up a bit, I think Amazon is probably one of the better companies in terms of giving lots of sort of freedom to the developers to make lots of decisions locally within the team, hmm. um, um, as, uh, at least in AWS, I don't know other parts of the company. And, um, and that is very likely one, the reason why I, st why I stayed for eight years. So right? it would have been hard for me if it mm. wasn't the case. So in the first couple of years, it was mostly just me, a couple of colleagues and my manager, and we made lots of decisions locally. We talked to our users, we released features. It was all very quick, right? We came up with ideas and we sort of um, decided, again, very locally between ourselves, what whether it was worth pursuing or how we should do it and so on and so forth. And that I think for me is the right kind of environment to feel motivated and sort of get satisfaction right from what I'm doing mm -hmm. as my um, sort of as my responsibilities grew right um, um, and what was being expected from me as, as the years went by evolved to having to uh, sort of be a bridge between the technical team and sort of the directors and the executives right where sort of um, uh, um, uh, the, the role was evolving it be becoming a bit more strategic right and um, and the nature of this type of work is literally just you know all the work is done in meetings and in writing these documents right so mm -hmm. sort of um, uh, uh, we, 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 we're thinking we have an idea or an approach and it's a matter of sort of bubbling it all the way up and listening to the concerns of the people above you and um, and trying to convince them and sort of trying to explain and uh, and things like that so um uh, and the, the more high profile the products were becoming right especially uh, you know uh, another difference that happened was that initially i was working in internal tools like that they didn't really uh, sort of the company used internally its own its own developers uh, but more recently in my second half of my career uh, at Amazon, it was mostly AWS products, right? so these were mm. um, um, services that were sold outside, and and in these cases, um, again, like many more executives tend to have a say in what we're doing, how we're doing it, sort of, um, uh, and the, the positioning and things like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, you know, I think from what I've observed, uh, talking to other developers, um, you know, at, at various stages of career progression. 
is that there is commonly a sense that, you know, maybe the developer wants to go out and do their own thing. Maybe they're starting to get tired of uh, the bureaucracy, you know, is, is a common problem at, at their workplace. Maybe they just have this sort of itch to do something on their own. Um, what are your thoughts on knowing when it's the right time to make a move? Um, you know, certain certain things were in place for you uh, that I suppose were, you know, in one sense, in your favor, but in another sense, uh, working against you. The fact that you had uh, a high-paying job where you were going to continue to be promoted and, and get raises, you know, that, that creates a situation where maybe you are you could be a little bit resistant to wanting to go out on your own. Uh, at the same time, you talk about the fact that you had, you know, a lot of money saved up, you had a good, you have a good amount of runway for yourself and your family. Um, but I think this is something a lot of people think about is like, how do I know if it's the right time for me to to make that plunge? Um, do you have any thoughts on that and on how people yeah. can be practical? Yeah, I think um, it's very hard, obviously, to find um, a, sort of a recipe that uh, would work for everyone. I think um, the, the way I approach that, at least myself, is that uh, I could see uh, that. So I think, d d yeah, my, my approach was I started imagining my preferred lifestyle, right? Basically, this is how it started. And I was trying to see if I could make, um, if I could sort of arrange um, my situation to match my preferred lifestyle. And I started realizing that it's hard to do at a full time job, right? At least with a big company. Um, for the reasons we described sort of uh, uh, before. Um, then to me, sort of, it was a matter of what type of bets and sort of opportunities do I have to try to, um, um, uh, to arrive to this lifestyle that I'm sort of imagining that would be better for me. Um, and in my situation, uh, as you mentioned, right, I had uh, I had some money saved up. I sort of reasoned to the sort of worst case scenario of uh, trying something that doesn't work and I could go, always go back and job. And sort of I convinced myself that uh, I could do an experiment without risking anything consequential. And I think this was the biggest hurdle, very likely. That is literally just to, again, just thinking that and sort of convincing yourself that otherwise if, if, if it feels like you're taking a big plunge and you're risking the whole sort of house you, you I think you would never do it that would be irrational right to do it um, then I think there's another psychological uh, trap which again required some effort on my side which is the one you mentioned that the opportunity that you're leaving on the table right um, look, uh, for example, I had uh, cl close the way the way Amazon compensation works is that I used to get a base salary of 160k, and then the rest was all stock compensation that I used to basically sell immediately every six months. Hmm. But I had already, I had granted for 2019 and 2020 um, uh, close to a million dollars right, between hmm. the two, including my compensation. Right, so this was literally money that I could have literally collected just by basically uh, showing up for work and doing the same thing. That it's hard, it's hard to leave so much behind mm -hmm. that I can understand it. It's just psychological. Um, but then sort of the way I, <coughs> I convinced myself is that um, 
and and this worked for me. I don't know if it works for everyone. Right? It's, it's just I, I could see myself if I didn't if I didn't stop at at, the, at that point. I thought I would never stop right? because there was there was always going to be something. Right. Mm -hmm. This time there was just you know these granted are sort of stock units that I had. I was thinking should I wait and I I get them and then leave afterwards, but then there might be. Uh, a promotion that's coming in six months and then they might be might be thinking let's wait for my kids to start school so that I have more free time and then maybe for the kids to go to college <laughs> and I sort of and that and that prospect again scared me a bit right I said I don't want to uh, keep postponing forever right so I think I reversed the 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 the, the approach I thinking of what I'm leaving behind I said I started thinking about uh, is is this the right time? Does this give me a reasonable shot to try something, um, and uh, that w could help me improve my lifestyle and design it in a way that better matches my preferences? And at one point, I realized, yes, yes, this is, this is the right time. Right, I mm -hmm. I have a decent amount of runway. Uh, I could try this, and um, I'm willing. And uh, this is something that helps me. That I think. Um, uh, we hinted about it before right? uh, some people don't do I was willing to curb my ambition mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of what I wanted to do um, to sort of make this lifestyle uh, idea work right sort of I wasn't uh, married to a particular idea that I wanted to do at all costs right I was willing to sort of continue to fine-tune and sort of improve and iterate until I find something that could sort of allow me to be independent. And even now, mm -hmm. right, even though I started something, I still have fallback uh, plan B and plan C's in my head right? that if the mm -hmm. product doesn't really work or doesn't find good market fit, I'm willing to um, maybe start doing some consulting, for example, or take on some freelancing work uh, just to sort of pay the bills and allow me to sort of remain independent and try other 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 bets um, um, or even take up some part-time work sort of anything that could allow me to sort of stretch my runway uh, yeah. if if it's necessary um, sort of I started to reason about it this way right and um, I think another mental exercise that helped me and this is easier said than done is just to not really think about the the, the opportunity cost right it's just to just look at um, uh, like I, I me basically mentally wrote it all off, right? All of even I don't even pretend that if I had to go back um, working full time, I would exactly get the same job or the same compensation or anything. I am completely fine, and I convinced myself that I'm fine if I were to, uh, you know, everything. Worst case scenario, go get a job again, and I get paid a fifth of what I had before. And basically, mm -hmm. once you make yourself comfortable with that, then things become easier. I think mm -hmm. the options start to appear in front of you, right? Um, because I, I started thinking again, like this is this is a topic I touch on in my blog posts and sometimes on Twitter. It's sort of um, uh, these financial rewards, for example, and these sort of opportunities, promotions, bonuses, raises, and things like that. I remember myself when I didn't have these. It wasn't that long ago, and my life yeah. wasn't that different, <laughs> right? right. Um, so uh, it, it sort of it was easier to uh, convince myself that it's okay if I went back to the state where I was 
earning a fifth of what I was earning before, right? Or where mm. I didn't have the uh, status of working at a prestigious company with a sort of a, a sort of a, an inflated job title or whatever. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's it's fine. Um, and again, once you once you become to terms with that and accept that, I, I think things things become easier. Mm-hmm. But they're never really easy. Like this, this I I agree. Like like even. I, I felt something in my stomach, right? <laughs> sort of giving yeah. my notice that I'm leaving all of this behind, right? Uh, like I, I'll admit it wasn't uh, that easy. But yeah, like in general, I think uh, the the trap of keeping postponing was probably um, uh, made me, uh, was, was the, probably the most important factor right, to make mm-hmm. me take the plunge and just 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 not keep waiting. Yeah, for sure. How did, uh, th- when it came to, to the decision, how did uh, family factor in? I'm curious for you because, uh, you know, when I made the decision to go out on my own, leave my full-time job, we uh, we had just, my wife and I had just had a, our first baby. And so there probably was like, no worse time to do it than yeah. you know just having your first child um fortunately you know i had some some good things in motion business wise where there were some contract sets i was you know confident in in the outcomes and all that so it wasn't necessarily a huge feeling of risk but still there's this there's this feeling that you know the am i am i making a bad decision for the family Curious about your your uh, decision is in terms of like how because I know you have a family how yeah. how it um, how it came uh, to yeah. you talking about your family with it was it was it a big thing was it not so bad how did that go No yeah the way I approach this is that sort of I promised my family that nothing will change right and I think this is easier uh, well I think th- this is so it it is easy to when you're single or sort of you don't have kids to um adjust your standard of living your quality of life you know move somewhere cheaper and live in a van or whatever like some extreme <laughs> things yeah. to sort of increase your odds of success i think the, the, these things are much much harder w- w- with a family right um the only thing we really really considered was moving a little bit Okay, 30 miles outside of Seattle just to sort of uh, cash out a little bit on uh, sort of the, 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 the house that I have here and sort of uh, in Seattle and sort of move something somewhere where uh, house prices are a bit cheaper. But even that actually I felt was going to be uh, unnecessarily disruptive, right? Mm-hmm. So at one point I, we, we agreed and, you know, I promised my wife and sort of that look, nothing is going to change. If this doesn't mm-hmm. work out, um, I will figure out sort of a way to make ends meet and uh, find a job again if necessary or take up some, some freelancing work and we'll just you know keep paying the bills, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, I think if, 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 I, if I had made, n- not only I think it would have been disruptive again f- uh, to the family just for for me to try and experiment with my career it's probably uh, not great but it probably would also have been a bit too much as well to deal with right uh, as you're saying like right? big yeah. lifestyle changes while you're making a big transition um, so I think it helped me as well right just the peace of mind that nothing really changed I wasn't living somewhere else or sort of just comfort there's a bit of a comfort zone that you're still <laughs> you're still uh, where, where you were yeah. um, so yeah so look I think 
Definitely, right? One of the things that helped me in my case was that I had accumulated a decent amount of savings, right? Um, I think, however, and now I, I obviously I admit that I'm, I'm, I'm mostly speculating about what I would have done, but I think if I didn't have as much savings or I had close to none, very likely I would still have taken the plunge, I think, but obviously I would have done something very different, right? I would probably have tried to find either before I left the job or right after a way to make ends meet and just mm. uh, free myself up to experiment with my sort of product ideas right sort of i think the only the main thing that savings are helping me with is that it's allowing me to focus on one phase right and if this doesn't work sort of i go to phase b and serialize my um, um my, my sort of my, my plans right to sort of uh, work independently whereas if things were different, I might have to try to do a few things at the same time. Right. Right. Um, um, but uh, yeah, um, uh, it, it it went okay. Right. I mean, my my um, uh, it was definitely something that I thought about because there's some uncertainty and all these kinds of things. And um, but at the end of the day, um, ma many things can be consoled. Like so. Um, I think probably the, the only thing with with th th that I've become a bit more, less free to do right now is that now with self-employment, especially in the initial parts, it's hard. For example, if I had to move house right now, it's very hard to get a mortgage and something like mm -hmm. that. So that's something we did consider before. <laughs> um, right. You know, I, I spoke with my wife and made sure that we're happy to <laughs> uh, live here for a decent amount of time. And... Um, um, uh, but yeah, otherwise, uh, I definitely made an effort so that my family is not impacted yeah. as, as much that's as cool. possible. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, <clears throat> obviously wise because, um, you know, there, there's, there are people that I've talked to before who describe their sort of family situation such that, you know, their, their family is very amenable to the possible changes that might need to take place. But I think, from my perspective, as, as little interruption to the regular sort of flow of life that has been going on, um, the better because that way you're going to have a whole slew of issues that you don't really have to uh, address you know down the line yeah. that you um, that you might otherwise have to so that's that's very smart um, so I, I'm curious now to jump to your latest uh, endeavor which is mm -hmm. we've as we've talked about already encrypted.dev um, so yeah tell us about encrypted.dev what it's all about and then I'd yeah. love to follow up with some questions about how you came to decide yes, yes. on that yeah, yeah, let me start with a little bit of the yeah how how I came to it. So um, one of the va very vague ideas that I had uh, sort of initially when I left my job was something around the space of web analytics, uh, Google Analytics, and things like that. Sort of, I felt like uh, there might be some some opportunity there initially, and I started to think about it from the privacy aspect. Um, uh, there was already lots of concern with you know uh, analytics tracking and so on and so forth sending data to sort of these advertising uh, companies Google and Facebook and other places where um, you know there I could see sort of the reluctance of sort of people to participate in that and so on and so forth but it seems like the alternative if you wanted some web analytics on your website or on your blog and you didn't really want to sort of send all this information about your visitors to these third parties was to host something yourself, right? There are web analytics products that you'd have to host. 
but these are quite burdensome that you have to spin up a server and a MySQL database and it's sort of it's definitely something that for a small website they're um, um, uh, too burdensome right very likely to do so at one point I had an I had an idea that this could be solved with end-to-end -end encryption where I was thinking about uh, still a SaaS web analytics service like Google Analytics it's still sort of there's nothing that you need to host yourself um, sort of but using the uh, ideas of asymmetric cryptography that we have a public key and a private key I was imagining um, a product where uh, the JavaScript snippets that you attach in your website that tracks sort of users uh, clicks and visits and so and so forth would be encrypting everything that the visitors are doing with a public key right all the data gets sent to me to my service and then when the website owner loads up the dashboard of uh, the analytics dashboard sort of all the data gets back sent to the encrypted data sent to the developer's browser and it gets decrypted there with the with the developer's private key and they could sort of see all the graphs and all sort of the uh, typical analytics that that you would see and uh, sort of this idea started to interest me, right? Um, but what was worrying me was the space, right? Web analytics was still something that I didn't really know much about. You know, Google Analytics is so popular that I felt like it might be too risky to try to go after them and it's free and, and so and so forth, right? So uh, long story short, uh, sort of I started thinking about some other use cases where uh, this type of, um, um, uh, solution might be beneficial and um, sort of and actually I started thinking about actually many types of web applications where um, um, not necessarily just the privacy benefit for the user right but even just the developer uh, itself right the developer sometimes and in many cases right unless you're selling your users data to some other <laughs> someone else um, user data is a liability right it's mm -hmm. something that ideally you wouldn't have to deal with right the fact that many web applications today have a database with a table that you can literally just click on and see all your users content is not something that i believe um web app owners prefer right mm -hmm. so this idea morphed to uh what if i built sort of um a Initially, initially, actually, started like I was thinking of a development framework, right, where you can build uh, a web application, right, where all the user data gets uh, encrypted in the browser by keys owned by the end user, and uh, the whatever gets stored on the back end is just blobs of encrypted data, right, mm. and then the end user, um, uh, whenever the end user is using the web application. Um, uh, it just fetches encrypted blobs back from the black end, right? And all the sort of fine queries happen on the browser, on the on the mm -hmm. client side. Um, sort of now, nowadays, again, like sort of my exercise of sometimes curbing my ambition and narrowing down the scope, sort of I reduced it, to, uh, sort of I've settled to something that rather than sort of be a big sort of platform, because initially I was thinking of doing website hosting and sort of dealing with certificates and doing the whole thing. But now I'm thinking it's just like a database, right? So now, um, um, sort of, I think my latest positioning is if you're building a web app and you're considering a database for storing user data and you're thinking about choosing MySQL or Postgres or MongoDB, 
or whatever, right? This would be an alternative that you could consider, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, there are some benefits in terms of how easy and um, uh, it is to run and use that right? just because there's not there isn't a complicated black box running server side there's no long running queries there's no indices there's no schema migrations there's none of the typical uh, database stuff that you tend to be burdened with and in mm. addition um, um, this also gives you end-to-end encryption right? so it also spares you from the burden of having to deal with um, user data in clear, which mm-hmm. also simplifies, which is very relevant to, to today, uh, compliance uh, with sort of GDPR and regulations, right? right? Because um, um, I'm still sort of exploring uh, sort of how to position uh, this product towards that, but it's definitely there's opportunities for radical simplification. And hopefully I, I believe there's even opportunity for getting the web developer completely outside of the data part right so mm-hmm. um so the, the, the so this project right now i'm building is an open source product project uh, i plan to build a business around it by hosting a multi-tenant SaaS version around it um but uh, sort of i'm imagining the possibility that uh, web app developers could build an entire web app completely with just javascript html css just static assets Hosted somewhere, you know, in S3 or Netlify or somewhere, GitHub Pages or whatever, right? And uh, and then be completely outside of the user data part, right? So in terms of GDPR and compliance, the web developer isn't even affected, right? Because it's it's actually it's more similar to releasing a a desktop app rather than a cloud app, right? Where um, the data is being saved on the user's hard drive. In my case, it would be saved in my service, right? So I would be the one um, sort of uh, handling uh, sort of all the compliance aspects. Right. Uh, this is still that I haven't really completely explored, but I think there is opportunity there as well. Right? Just just to, for uh, web app developers to not potentially not having to deal with any of the uh, compliance issues. Yeah, totally, so, that's cool. Yeah, that's 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 where it is. Right? So still work in progress. Um, sort of uh, tentatively, I'm targeting to uh, have the open source project released within a couple of months, at least an early version, and then sort of um, uh, late at the end of this year or very early next year, sort of have the SaaS uh, mm-hmm. product out there, and then take it from there. Right. Um, one one thing that I liked about this this project is that it sort of gave me um, nearly a pivot strategy before. I needed to pivot, right? So sort of, it's something that I can see. If if it if the if the SaaS doesn't work out, you know, doesn't find good market fit, or I don't, I realize that I can't make a good business out, viable business out of it. I could see myself pivoting to just building some web apps myself on top of it, right? So right. sort of still carry on the work that I've did, right? But sort of build some privacy focused uh, web apps and just continue the work rather than having to pivot and start from square one on something mm-hmm. completely uh, different. So sort of it's, um, it was one other aspect that's, that I found um, appealing to take, to take this part. Yeah, 
That's cool. That's uh, that sounds like a great idea. It's something that I've been mindful of recently, actually, is that, you know, there, there's all sorts of tools that make our lives as developers easier. Um, and these tools are increasing in number as, as we go on. But one thing that hasn't that that I still have to deal with as a, an application developer is is worry over data, whether or not it's being exposed in certain ways that it shouldn't be, uh, you know, wanting to make sure that everything is locked down in the proper way. So I can I can definitely see this being um, a, a strong product for developers who maybe aren't, uh, especially those developers that maybe don't want to be so involved with like the heavy yeah. DevOps stuff that would uh, enable you to have all of that uh, data protection stuff in place. So that's that's yeah. great. One thing I'm curious about is, um, you know, you've sensed that this is a, a potential product that, that could do well. What is it that, that's given you that sense that there's uh, probably a market here? Is there a certain way that you've gone about assessing that this would be a potentially successful product? Yeah, um, not, not nothing. Um, I, I started thinking, like you're saying, that it would be something that I would use myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, uh, I did nothing in specific in terms of validation, right? Uh, the, the only sort of feedback that I got so far is by I've been tweeting about it and I've been sharing sort of the, the ideas and so far sort of I've been getting uh, good feedback, sort of started a mailing list uh, just from Twitter alone, have about uh, 600 um, uh, uh, people that subscribe but again I, I don't really I don't want to fool myself that you know having people on the mailing list or having people saying that this is useful would necessarily be a viable product ultimately at the end of the day I think it's the test of putting it out of the market that would really validate or prove um, whether it's viable or not so I think the strategy that I've taken rather than relying too much on trying to pre-validate it was again is it something that I would use myself? Again, just a bit of a gut feel that there is an opportunity. And again, what helped me was that I think even if it turns out that it doesn't work out, I could continue to use it even myself. Right? So it, it probably yeah. increases the odds for me to succeed with something different, right? It wouldn't yeah. be completely wasted um, um, uh, effort. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, not, I don't think I probably have any tips to share on sort of how to validate it. I think I will know <laughs> when <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the strategy of building something for yourself is I think probably one of the best approaches, right? Because if you are building something to solve your own problem, yeah. Chances are there are many other people exactly. in the world that have yeah. the same problem, right? So that's advice and that I hear quite often that I think is, is sound and, for sure. Yeah, and I'm focusing on, I'm, I recognize that I'm focusing on a, on a niche, right? A niche that is not necessary. I don't think it's small, right? But um, uh, because let's face it, nobody's going to redesign an existing web app to work with my solution. It's very unlikely. So it's already the niche is new web apps, right? Mm -hmm. um, that are considering options. And um, um, I think uh, sort of the, 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 there's, yeah, there's an opportunity there, right? Um, I, I forgot what I was going to say, but <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exciting, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what comes of that and I'm rooting for you on that. Um, Thanks. It'll be it'll be open source shortly, or it's open source right now. Yeah, it's actually already open source. It's a proof of concept that's sort of it's a basic to do application 
built okay. on this uh, on this framework. Uh, so the next steps are to extract because it's literally now all embedded in the same application. Extract the framework out of the um, out of the sort of proof of concept application. We're just uh, going to a security review. We're about to start, so it's sort of I think the product is pretty much ready. Just sort of uh, finishing it up, making it prod ready, going to security review, make sure everything is is okay. Mm -hmm. um, um, well, at least it's ready for a feature set that I think are, are good enough. Uh, there's lots yeah. of other ideas that I would like to see eventually. That's cool. Um, is there somewhere so people can see the open source? Uh yeah. Um, so I'll uh, I I can share the links with you offline. Sure. Maybe you can link them. Uh, it's on yep. because it's a long URL on GitHub. Um, uh, but there's the mailing list on uh, encrypted.dev where okay. people can subscribe, and I sort of sharing uh, updates about once a month uh, on the progress of the project. Excellent. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll link all of that up in uh, in the show notes. Um, so that's probably actually a good part to uh, start wrapping up on. Uh, before we do go, though, is there anything else that uh, comes to mind to uh, offer in terms of advice to those people that are looking to make a decision to take the plunge, to make the jump from their full-time job to working and being independent? Yeah. Uh, anything, anything else that you haven't mentioned yet that you'd uh, you'd offer as advice? No, yeah, I mean, I think it's recognizing that um, there's many ways you can design your life, like there's many options, sort of, I think uh, we're sometimes brainwashed a little bit to believe that there's only one obvious part. Uh, and uh, I think once you reassure yourself that you're not making, uh, taking big risks, I think this is important, then I think you start seeing sort of options uh, that start appearing in front of you, right? That could help you um, uh, do something that's more matching <laughs> what you mm -hmm. wanted to do. Um, it's very, very, uh, very context. The context matters a lot, uh, as as we, we 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 described, right? So it's very hard to uh, for me to sort of give ad specific advice. Uh, sort of, I, I hope sort of the the. This, that's my story and I've been documenting it, right? Uh, sort of could at least inspire some people, at least on one possible route of going uh, to this type of uh, journey, uh, but there's definitely many others. Um, um, yeah. Cool, that's yeah. awesome, that's, that's great advice. Um, so where can people find you online? So I'm mostly um, on uh, on Twitter, so that I'm sort of keeping, I'm documenting pretty much what's going uh, in my life on a pretty much regular daily basis on Twitter at divasalo, V-A-S-S-A-L-L-O. Um, uh, I have a website as well, denivasalo.com, where I sometimes rarely uh, write a bit something more long form. And uh, encrypted.dev, where I sort of have the mailing list for now uh, for the project. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Great. Well, we'll be uh, sure to link that up as well as the article that we've talked about uh, that uh, that kicked this whole thing off. We'll, yeah. we'll link that up as well. Um, well, Daniel, it's been great, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Um, I've definitely enjoyed this conversation. I think that uh, people will certainly appreciate the uh, the nuggets that, that you've uh, given to us here. Yeah. So uh, thank you. And I, I definitely look forward to uh, to see where things go with Encrypted.dev and maybe we can do a round two in the future once things have uh, been fully uh, released and, and everything like that. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Thanks.
Thank you so much once again for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast. You'll be able to find show notes, including links to all the resources that Daniel mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you've got any feedback about the show, if you'd like to suggest a future guest, or if you just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. You can say hi on Twitter at twitter.com slash coderpodcast. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, and if you feel so inclined, it would be great if you could leave a review and subscribe. But if not, no hard feelings. Until next time, happy hacking. Thank you.